Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Esther, Esther chapter 4 this morning. While you're turning there, let me just let you know that next week we're starting a new series. It's a five-part series on Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. We're calling it Worship Heaven Style. And, and it describes to us the worship that is going on in heaven right now. And Jesus said that we should pray that God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it already is being done in heaven. And so the way that they worship in heaven today, we should seek to replicate, duplicate here on earth today. And so we're going to be looking at what God's Word says about worship and how you and I are to worship. Now let me ask you a question as we get into this morning. How many of you enjoy board games? Enjoy board games, raise your hand, card games. All right. Some of you are boring people. (laughs) I grew up in a family that played card games, that played board games, and we would play games like chess, and my dad taught me how to play that, and when I was younger, we'd play checkers, and we would play Monopoly, and we'd play Scrabble, and we would play Risk. And what I've discovered is in every one of these games, there is a certain level of chance. There's a certain amount of luck. I mean, you can not do anything, and you can get lucky, and you can win the game. But if you were like we were in our family... You didn't depend on luck. You used strategy. Because you didn't want to come to the end of the game and hope that you had won. You wanted to come to the end of the game knowing that you were going to win. So you've got to think through strategy. You see, it's not just the move that you make right now. and It's, it's thinking through multiple moves in advance. You need to be able to to not only see where you are going, but where you're going to end up. And you need to see what your opponent is going to do and where he is going to end up if you want to win the game. And that's what the book of Esther is all about. Esther is a story that shows how, how God moves the pieces of human history to accomplish his plan and save his people from being exterminated, all without ever circumventing a person's free will. It's a testimony of of how God works behind the scenes, inside the circumstances, throughout the twists and turns of history, all to accomplish His purpose. It's a story of how God can use you in His plan to accomplish His purpose, if you are willing Now, what is amazing is is as you pick up the book of Esther and you begin to read through it, the name God is never even mentioned in the book. And yet, the character of God is seen throughout the book. And the providence of God is seen practically on every single page. Now, let me give you a little background, if I may. Because of their disobedience, God allowed his people, the Jews, to to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And for 70 years, they lived in exile in a foreign land. 
But when the Persians came in and, and conquered the Babylonians, the king of the Persians, Cyrus, issued a decree that, that the Jews could go back to their homeland. And we see that in, in the story of Nehemiah. We see that in the story of Ezra. We, we read about that in Second Chronicles, how, how Cyrus issued that decree. But there were some who chose to stay. Uh, some for their entire life, some for a period of time. Like, like Daniel. Daniel had become an advisor to, to the king of Babylonia. And, and he also became an advisor later on to the king of Persia. Like, for instance, Nehemiah, who became the cupbearer to the king. And then, of course, Esther, who this book tells us became the queen of the Persian Empire. Now, Esther was a, a young Jewish woman who was raised by her cousin, Mordecai, because her mother and father had died. And, and Mordecai adopted her and raised her as his own. The king of Persia at this time was now a man named Xerxes. And as the book of Esther begins, Xerxes is throwing this celebration that lasts for 180 days. He is, he is bringing all the nobles, all the leaders of the Persian Empire together so they can celebrate all of his accomplishments. And after 180 days... Xerxes decides to throw a party. And he throws a seven-day party, not just for the nobles, not just for the leaders, but for all of the people in Susa, uh, the place where the palace was located. And, and Xerxes held nothing back. He brought out the best of food, the, the best of drink, and, and the Bible says that the wine was flowing and the people were drinking to their heart's desire. And as you can imagine, after seven days of drinking, after seven days of partying, the people were pretty lit up. They were pretty drunk, including Xerxes. And so Xerxes decided that, that he wanted to bring his wife, Queen Vashti, out for everyone to gaze on her because she was a beautiful woman. Now understand, Xerxes had a harem of women. But Vashti was his queen. She was beautiful. But when Xerxes called for Vashti, she refused. She says, I am not coming out there to let all of these people gawk at me and God forbid what you may want me to do. She refused. And as you can imagine, Xerxes got angry and he was upset and he was frustrated. And so he brought all of his advisors together and he asked them, what should I do? Now you would think, you would think that Xerxes the king would just put her to death immediately, wouldn't you? And that's a good question. Why didn't he kill Vashti? Well, history tells us that Vashti wasn't just some woman. Vashti was the daughter of the king of Babylon. And when they took over the Babylonian empire, he took her into captivity. And so she was royalty. And to keep his kingdom together, he knew that it was not wise to kill her. And so we asked his men, what should we do? And they said, you need to depose her. 
You need to banish her and you need to choose another queen. And so that's what Xerxes did. He banished Vashti. And then he set up this process where he would find another queen. Now understand, this was not some beauty contest. This was not some pageant. Xerxes was the emperor, the ruler, the dictator of the Persian Empire. What he wanted, he got. And he sent his men across the Persian Empire from India to Ethiopia to bring back the most beautiful young virgins in the land. And his men went out. And they searched for these women and they brought them back. They had no choice. They were in effect slaves to the king. And one of these women that was chosen was Esther. Mordecai's cousin who Mordecai was raising as his very own daughter. She was chosen for this contest. But before she left the house, Mordecai said, Do not tell anyone that you were a Jew. And so she didn't. And so for one year, these women who were chosen were pampered. I mean, they were treated to spa treatments like you wouldn't believe. Extreme makeover, all natural. And after a year, all of these women, one at a time, were brought before Xerxes. And when Esther came before Xerxes, he loved her. Listen to what the Bible says. It said, the king loved her more than any other young woman. He was so delighted that he put the royal crown on her head and she became queen. So here's this simple Jewish girl who was exiled, who now was living with her cousin in Susa, who was now the queen of the Persian Empire. And remember, no one knew that she was a Jew but Mordecai. Now in the meantime, Mordecai had became a part of the king's palace. The, the, he had become an employee of the king and and Esther tells us that, that Mordecai uncovered a plot to, to assassinate the king. And he let the king know about it. And it saved the king's life. And the Bible says it was recorded in the king's history. And at the same time, there was another man named Haman who was high up in, in Xerxes' nobles. And he was elevated to the position of the highest noble. And Haman was, was a proud man. Haman was an arrogant man. And Haman was an angry man. And because of that, and because of his pride, and because of his arrogance, he issued this decree that, that whenever anyone came into the presence of Haman, they had to bow down and kneel before him. And everyone did. Except Mordecai. You see, Mordecai was a Jew. And he would not kneel before anyone. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Before King Nebuchadnezzar? When Nebuchadnezzar built that statue and he wanted everyone to bow down before it. And they refused? Well, Mordecai refused to bow down before Haman. 
And when Haman heard about it, he was filled with rage. And he devised this plot not only to kill Mordecai, but to ripe out Mordecai's entire race. Now that's anger on steroids, isn't it? He said, I'm not going to just kill Mordecai. I'm going to kill everyone who is of the same race of Mordecai. And so he told the king that there was a certain race of people scattered throughout the entire empire that kept themselves separate from everyone else. And the Jews, for the most part, did live different from other people. Haman said their laws are different than other people. And then he said, and they refused to obey the king. Now, this wasn't true. But then Haman said, I believe that for the king's sake, all these people should be put to death. And the king said, I agree. And the king issued a decree that on a certain day, every Jew in the Persian Empire, from India to Ethiopia, would be put to death. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. An entire race of people exterminated from the planet. Xerxes the king had a signet ring and and he took his signet ring and he sealed the decree with his signet ring, meaning that that decree was binding. It could never be taken back even by him. When Mordecai heard about this decree that that he was going to be put to death and, and every Jew was going to be put to death, as you can imagine, he went into mourning Uh, The Bible says that he was weeping and wailing and he put on sackcloth and ashes, which was just a symbol of, of how he was mourning. And when the word got throughout all the provinces of the Persian Empire that, that this decree had come down, all of the Jews began to go into mourning. Esther, meanwhile, was in the palace. She was secluded from all of this. She knew nothing about this. And the Bible tells us that she hadn't even been with the king for 30 days. But some of her servants came to her and said that Mordecai is at the palace gate and he's in sackcloth and he's in ashes and he's weeping and wailing and mourning. And and Esther said, why? And Mordecai gave her the decree of what was said. And Esther came back to Mordecai with a message and said, I I haven't even seen the king in 30 days. I didn't know that this had taken place. But but you need to understand that, that anyone who goes into the king's presence without being summoned by the king can be put to death immediately. In other words, it's not like Esther could just stroll into the chamber of the king and and tell the king don't let this happen she couldn't do that she had to be asked for or she could be put to death and that takes us to the passage I, I want us to look at for a few moments that that is so incredible Esther chapter 4 verses 13 through 17 listen to what it says Mordecai sent back this answer to, to Esther 
Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Let that sink in. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? But that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent his reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Now let me just say before we go any further that God spared his people. God delivered his people and he used Esther to do it. But, but as we look at these five verses, there are three truths I think you need to know that are pivotal as we walk through life, regardless of who we are, regardless of what we do. Here's the first truth. You need to understand this. God has a purpose to accomplish in the world. Write it down. Put it in the margin of your Bible. Cement it in your brain. God has a purpose to accomplish in the world. When God chose Abraham, God said this to Abraham. He said, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God had a special plan for Abraham's family, his offspring, the Jews. And nothing could stop that plan. Not slavery in Egypt. Not wandering in the wilderness, not continued rebellion and and unbelief, not exile, and certainly not an egotistical ruler. Nothing could stop God's plan. You see, God said to Abraham, I will use you to bless the nations of the earth. Because God had a plan for Israel To bless all people on the earth. And because God had a plan to bless all people through Israel, God certainly wasn't going to let anything happen to Israel. So let me ask you a question. Do you know that God has a plan and a purpose in this world? And did you know that nothing can stop God's plan? Did you know that? Nothing can. Understand. Listen to me. Nothing in this world happens by chance. Nothing in this world takes God by surprise. That's why Paul could say, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose, the good and the bad. The joyful and the painful are both being used by God. You see, God not only knows everything that is going to happen, 
The Bible tells us that God is using everything that happens to accomplish his ultimate plan and purpose. That's why I don't get worked up by elections and politics. We're in a, an election cycle and, you know, some of us, we, we look at both candidates and we go, goodness gracious, slim pickings. And my wife, she watches the news, and, and she gets all bent out of shape. She gets all worked up. She, she just gets aggravated. She talks to the TV. She talks to the news. Some of you may do that. Can I tell you, it's strange. And, and when she's like that, I go, babe, chill out. God's on his throne. And here's the fact. Regardless of whether Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump wins the White House, God is on his throne and all things are working together for the good of those who love the Lord, who were called according to his purpose. I mean, think about it. God used the selling of Joseph into slavery to deliver his people from a famine. I mean, think about it. God used the putting to death of Hebrew boys to set the stage so Moses could be raised in Pharaoh's home. Now, I mean, think about it. God used the exile of Daniel to touch two pagan kings to the point that those pagan kings gave testimony that the God of Israel was the one true God. And God used Esther, being taken from her family, being entered into this slavery contest to save not just the Jewish people, but the human race. Because, you see, our destiny was tied to their destiny. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord. All things Everything is working toward God's perfect plan. So don't fret, don't worry, trust God. But here's what you need to do. You need to understand God's plan. You need to understand God's purpose. And, and this is what it is. God's purpose is the salvation of mankind. God's purpose is to create a race of beings who could be loved by him and love him in return. Who could worship him and bring glory to his name forever. And in Revelation we're told that, that God's plan, God's purpose is to create this, this race of individuals from every race and every nation, every tribe and every tongue. And he will do that. And understand, he will do that without infringing upon your free will. God's desire is to save you. But let me tell you, regardless of whether you're saved or not, God's will accomplish his plan and his purpose of creating a people who will worship him forever. The only question is, will you and I be a part of that? 
His desire is to save all. His desire is that all come to a knowledge of the truth. His desire is that none perish. His desire is that all come to repentance. But make no mistake, come eternity, there will be a people from every race, every tribe, every tongue gathered around the throne, worshiping the Lord forever and ever. And nothing, nothing will thwart God's plan. Wars and rumors of wars won't. Elections and election cycles will not. Recessions and, and more recessions that lead to depressions will not. Nothing will thwart the plan of God. Now, I want you to notice what he said here. Mordecai said to Esther, if you remain silent, deliverance will come to another from another place. In other words, what is he saying? God's purpose will be fulfilled. Okay? God's purpose is going to be fulfilled. God has a purpose. God wants you to be a part of that purpose. But ultimately, his purpose will be fulfilled. Here's the second truth. God uses people to accomplish his purpose. Now, God is God. God can do whatever he wants to do. But for some reason, God has chosen to use people in his plan. He he used Noah, he used Abraham, he used Moses, he used Joshua, he used the judges, he used Nehemiah, he used Esther, and on and on we can go. And if you're a child of God, and you're seeking to live according to his will, he wants to use you to accomplish his purpose. Esther was a worshiper of of Jehovah God, and yet she was surrounded by pagans, but God placed her just where she needed to be to save his people and to save humanity. You see, this is what I've discovered. God has placed us, God has placed you in a certain place at a certain time to accomplish his purpose. You think that you are where you are by accident? No, you're not. If you're a child of God seeking to live in God's will, you are where you are by design. And God has you there for a reason and a purpose. I love what Mordecai says. Who knows but that you have come into this royal position for such a time as this. So, so where are you right now? Have you ever stopped to consider that God may have you there as part of his plan? Now, when we hear that phrase, perhaps you were here for such a time as this, that can apply to a lot of things. I mean, it can apply to opportunities that, that God lays before us financially. Perhaps God places an opportunity before you Financially for such a time as this so that you can be blessed so that you can bless others. Perhaps God places you in a place at a time so that he can bless you relationally. You see, there are many things that this can speak to, but what you need to understand is that this passage and, and the context of this passage is much bigger than that. God isn't speaking of, of 
financial opportunities and vocational opportunities and relational opportunities. He's talking about God's plan, his plan to to build a people who will love him, who will worship him forever and ever and ever. And God has placed you in a place so that you can be a part of that plan. Now, some people may say, well, what difference can one person make? What difference did Esther make? If one person, Esther, had not been where she was at the time she was, the Jews could have been eliminated, annihilated, exterminated. One person can make a difference. Edward Everett Hale said this, I am only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And the something I ought to do, I can do. By the grace of God, I will do. So what is the opportunity that God has placed you in in such a time as this? Why does God have you working where you are? Why does God have you living in the neighborhood you're living in? Why does God have you at the school that you're attending? Could it be for such a time as this? Could it be that you're just one piece and a part of God's eternal plan, but your one piece is an important piece? And if you will be obedient, it will make a major difference in all eternity? Perhaps you're here for such a time as this. And so Esther made a choice. She decided that she was going to stand. She was going to take a chance. She was going to risk all. And what you need to understand is following God's will is not always easy. And following God's will is hardly ever without risk. But it's always worth it. And now notice what Esther told Mordecai to do. She said, for three days, I want you to gather all the people together and I want you to fast for me day and night. Do not eat. Do not drink anything for three days. Now, now understand, people fast for a variety of reasons today. We fast to, to cleanse our system. We fast to, to lose some quick weight. But biblically... Fasting was tied to prayer. Fasting was intense prayer. Fasting was when it wasn't just enough to pray your request to God. Fasting is when you were so desiring God to intervene, you were so desiring God to move, you were so desiring God to answer that you not only prayed, you did without food, you did without water, you did without drink so that you could devote yourself completely to that time of prayer. So what this is saying is for three days and three nights, the Jews gathered together and they prayed intently that God would intervene. Listen, apart from our being obedient to what God has called us to do, there is nothing we can do more important 
and partnering with God to accomplish his plan than to pray and fast. Because when we pray, we connect with the power of God. And we begin to see God do some incredible things. Now that takes me to the third truth, and that is this. God will accomplish his purpose even if you refuse to do what he's called to do. But you will suffer loss. Notice what Mordecai said here. He said, do you not think that Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will come. But you and your father's family will perish. What is that saying? That's saying that God's ultimate plan cannot be thwarted. God is moving everything to his perfect plan and there is nothing you can do, there is nothing I can do that can change that. But what can happen, listen, what can happen is individually in our circle of influence, those who could be a part of the grace of God aren't because of our disobedience. Did did you get what Mordecai said? Deliverance will come to the Jews. In other words, what Mordecai said is God's ultimate plan, God's ultimate purpose, it will be fulfilled. Nothing will change that. But if you're not obedient, you and your family will perish. You and those you love will perish. I want you to look at me. I, I don't know everything about the, the providence and the sovereignty of God. What I do know is God is on his throne and God is in control. And I know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. I know that nothing is going to thwart God's perfect plan that is moving rapidly to a conclusion where he is going to gather together a people to worship him forever on a new heaven and a new earth. Nothing's going to thwart that. God wins. What I don't know is this. Could my disobedience to share the hope that I have in Jesus Keep someone from experiencing the grace of God so that they can be saved and be a part of that plan. As I read Mordecai's word to Esther, it seems like it can. It seems like that that my individual witness and influence to the people that I love, the people I care about, can impact them positively or negatively for all eternity. And and so the question is this. Not, is God's plan going to be accomplished? It will. He wins. Satan is destroyed. He's thrown into the eternal fire called hell. 
A new heaven and a new earth will be created and those who love him will worship him and enjoy him forever. That will happen. The question is, are there people that we know? Are there people we love? Are there people that we are in relationship with that we can influence that will not be there because we're disobedient? That's a question that keeps me up sometimes at night. It's a question that troubles me. Because I don't want anyone in hell that I could have the opportunity to lead to heaven. So what about you? Are you going to be a part of God's plan? To bring the gospel to the world? Are you going to be obedient regardless of what the risk entails? Are you going to look at the place that you are and the time that you're there as, as potentially a place that God has prepared for you for such a time as this and you're going to take advantage of it? Or are you going to sit on the sidelines? That's up to you. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, this is so important. It's important because eternity is at stake. Are you willing to look at your life as a follower of Jesus and live it believing that God has placed you where you are for such a time as this. Not to be blessed financially or vocationally or relationally, but he has placed you where you are so that you can reach people with the gospel who can be a part of his forever family. And are you taking advantage of the opportunities that he's given you? If not, and you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you today. Make the commitment to get involved in God's plan. Don't be left behind. Now, if you're here and you're not a, a follower of Jesus yet, I would ask you why not. I'm here to tell you that anything this world has to offer pales in comparison to what God can give you. And if you're here and right here right now and you're at that point where you're saying, I'm tired of rebelling, I want to give my all to Jesus, then I want to give you the opportunity to do that right here right now. And you can pray this prayer, dear Jesus. I come to you this morning knowing that I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. Please save me. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave for my sins. Today, right here, right now, I'm giving my life to you. 
I'm yours. I want to follow you, obey you, serve you, and be used by you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you for saving me. Amen.